The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for Jesus. But the Samaritans did not receive him, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus said, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. In today's Gospel, Jesus is toward the end of his ministry and he is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time where he will encounter betrayal, crucifixion, and death on the cross. He also needs disciples who are fully committed without reservation because he knows the journey ahead in the Roman Empire and beyond will require Christians who are fully invested in Christ and his church. Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem. He's made up his mind. He knows he's going to be crucified, but he is going to obey his Father, redeem the world. He's on the journey. Now, he's up in the north. He needs to go down to the south in Jerusalem, and in that middle part of Israel is the Samaritans. And the Samaritans do not like the Jews. There's bad blood. It's very complicated, but basically in the 8th century B.C., the Assyrians came in to the north of Israel, conquered the ten tribes, scattered them, and who was remaining were Jews, but then they brought in all kinds of pagans to intermingle, and they intermarried and brought in all pagan practices, and they no longer were full-blooded Jews in the sense that they didn't follow completely Judaism. They had their own canon of scripture, their own temple they built in Jerusalem, not in Jerusalem, they had their own priesthood, their own sacrifices. So there was bad blood. Now, Jesus, knowing this, sends John and James, sons of thunder, on ahead to prepare the way for Jesus in the Samaritan village. But the Samaritans don't receive them because they know Jesus has his face set toward Jerusalem, not in place they want worship to be in their own temple. Now, James and John are going to be bishops of this church. Instead of simply shaking the dust off their feet, as Jesus told them to do, or even better, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, love your enemies. 
do good to those who persecute you. They come back to Jesus and say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire and consume them? They have not assimilated Jesus' message. They're not fully committed. They're not really disciples that will change the Roman Empire. The Holy Spirit's going to be needed to make that change, and Jesus knows that. He simply rebukes James and John. He's not going to be distracted. He's not going to be drawn into this grudge. Rather, he goes on to the next village on his way to Jerusalem to fulfill the will of his Father. Jesus wants us fully committed because he knows the task in our ministry is difficult. So to make that point clearer, he encounters three other would-be disciples as he's heading toward Jerusalem, and Luke sets it out in his gospel. The first one comes and says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. I have no exit strategy. I'm fully committed. But Jesus knows his heart. He is committed to a comfortable life, and he says, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, are you ready to give up what you feel you need in order to follow me? What he would say similarly to the rich young man who wanted to follow Jesus, Jesus said, go and sell all your possessions and come follow me, and he wasn't able to do it. The second would-be disciple says, I will follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. That seems like a reasonable request. But again, the context makes all the difference here. In Judaism at the time, when a family member died, you were required to bury them on the same day of their death. And if that's true, why is this disciple talking to Jesus? He should be burying his father. What he's really asking is, my father's still alive. He may die soon, or maybe in a couple of years. I want to stay with him until he dies and get the inheritance. Then I will follow you. It's an excuse. Jesus knows it and tells him that. The third is Jesus saying, whoever puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. Now here, Jesus is actually referring to that first reading from 1 Kings. And we know the story, it's a very famous story, where Elijah has been told by God, your prophetic ministry is coming to an end, and you need to pass it on to Elisha. So go to Elisha and tell him that. Now Elisha is out in the field farming. He has his hand to the plow. He's got nine yoke of oxen, which means he's very wealthy. He's got lots of land. Even one oxen would be for a rich person. He has nine. As soon as Elijah throws his cloak of prophecy over the shoulders of Elisha, Elisha knows the symbolism. It's kind of like baptism when we put on that white garment and we're now putting on Christ and we know we're committed to being Christian. Elisha knew he was being called, but he had a choice. He could have said, I've got lots of land. I've got lots of responsibilities. No, thank you. What does he do? He not only takes his hand off the plow, he burns the plow equipment so that there's no exit strategy. And then he kills the oxen and distributes the food to his many workers and the village. And he radically follows Elijah. If you read the story, he's right there with Elijah as his servant, learning all he can about the ministry of prophecy. 
so that when Elijah is finally taken up in a whirlwind of flame to heaven, and Elijah's right there, Elisha is given this opportunity to ask for whatever he wants. And you know what he asks for? Give me double of Elijah's spirit. God complies, and Elisha has a fantastic ministry of prophecy throughout many, many decades. That radical call is what we're called to do. In that first reading, when Elisha burns his plow equipment, that actually set the tone for others to make radical choices. I'm thinking of that famous, if you're a history buff, that famous story of Hernan Cortez, who was a conquistador in the 16th century. He was ordered by the King of Spain to take 11 ships and 600 sailors and go to the New World and explore what we now know as the coast of Mexico. Well, Cortez, the adventurer, had more in mind than that. He wanted to actually conquer the whole land and take on the Aztecs because the Aztecs were powerful, powerful people who were involved in all kinds of practices, child sacrifice and so on. But he knew he didn't have enough men, and his men knew that as well. So when they landed, he said to his men, are you ready to go and confront the Aztecs? But he knew their heart. He knew they weren't really ready because the odds were so stacked against them. He asked the question a few more times, and finally he said, take all the provisions off the ships, bring it to shore, and burn the ships. And they burned all the ships so that there was no exit strategy. The men either follow Cortez or they die. And in two years, they had conquered the Aztecs. In our lives, God is calling us to that type of discipleship. Now, the degree of our detachment, of course, is going to be dependent on our state in life. For priests and religious, we take radical vows and we detach from all kinds of things. We take a vow of celibacy, poverty, and obedience. For other states of life, like family life, those are not obviously required, but there is the baptismal vows. We are a baptized people, and we take vows to the Lord that we will radically follow him. The question is, in our lives, we know from previous experience, there are certain things that hold us back. Maybe some addictions, grudges, prejudice like James and John, anger, unforgiveness. There's a whole list of things that can be like exit strategies that we don't really follow Christ as we should. And what Jesus is asking us today and to reflect on throughout the week, what ships in our life do we need to burn? What do we need to really detach from? What grudges do we have that we're holding on to that take us away from that radical following of Christ? How generous are we in our giving? Family life is meant to be a life of prayer and self-sacrifice, as you know, some fasting and almsgiving, those three practices that Jesus encouraged. We can do that. And to the extent that we do, we radically follow Christ. In our lives, we know this is difficult. 
because we've tried and we've failed in some ways. But the second reading is really the crux of the whole issue. Paul knew the same thing, because he said in Romans chapter 7, what I want to do, and I know is good, I don't do. And what I don't do, I should do. Who can rescue me from this body of death? This was after he had been converted. He was walking with God, and yet he knew his weaknesses. That's why he writes in the second reading, Brothers and sisters, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. So I say, live by the Spirit and do not fulfill the desires of the flesh. There is the answer. And we know that. We call the Holy Spirit upon us at every Mass. And every time we pray, we do the same because we need God's Spirit in us to burn those ships and to radically follow Christ in a way that will make a difference in our community. Because people can see us, they know we're Christians, And they know we're like other people, we have our weaknesses, but when we overcome, when we're so generous that we let go of those grudges, we let go of that unforgiveness, we have joy because we're walking closely with Christ and he gives us of his spirit, we partake of his body and blood, then, then we're ready. The invitation is there, it's for you and for me. Let's call upon the Holy Spirit again. Come and help me to love my neighbor as myself. Be radically committed to you, Christ, and your church. And be willing to burn those ships. Come, Holy Spirit.